Merry Meet. Welcome to Witch Magic. I'm Dawn, and I will be taking you on a spiritual journey to all things magic and witchcrafts. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Witch Magic. Today, I am going to read a story. Before I go on with the story, um, I just want to tell you about my wedding. Yes, Chris and I got married on August 19, and we had such a beautiful ceremony. Oh my goodness. We had friends and family there, and my grandkids did the flowers and the rings. Um, we had a hand fasting and it was just so amazing. We had all our, you know, music that we love, um, the food that we love, and it was so great. Everybody had such a good time. And most of all, I could feel so much love in that room. It was incredible. The energy in that room was unbelievable and it was great oh my goodness it was emotional it was happy everybody had a great time um and then the next day chris and i set off on our adventures and we did we went on a cross-country road trip all the way across the country so from new hampshire where we live to california and we have gone to states that we both neither of us had ever been to before so it was pretty cool you know <clears throat> and we've been we've seen a lot of sights it was incredible we went through the rocky mountains we drove down the strip of vegas um we visited hoover dam the grand canyon we went to disneyland um drove around in la which is crazy i might add and uh we saw the St. Louis Arch, um, and then we, we stumbled across this place called Uranus, and it's in Missouri, and it is so hilarious. If you ever have the chance to look it up, it is so funny. I mean, everything about it is so comical, and it's called the Uranus Fudge Factory, and it's in Missouri. Um, we also went to this place called Cadillac Ranch, where you get to spray paint Cadillacs that are in the desert and it was so cool um the the trip took us a week and a half because like i said we just we just drove and drove we slept in the car most of the time um but there was a couple of nights we actually stayed in hotels and um we just had a blast it was the most amazing vacation i have ever taken in my life and i am so happy to have shared it with my new husband. So that was that. So today, actually, the story that I'm going to read to you, it's actually several stories in this one book. And it's called Trick or Treat Free for All. And this book is 
for children, of course, because I like to keep things neat and, you know, clean um, and fun and um, short. I cannot read a novel on here. So as as it is, this is probably going to be about an hour long. So um, if you want your kids to listen, you know, you can go ahead and pause the show and have them come along and listen to it or listen to this at a later time. Um, listen to it in segments because I will let you know when I'm reading, when I'm on my way to read the next story. So that way, if you want to just do like a story or two a night, you can pause it and come back to it at another time. All right, so let's move on with Trick or Treat Free for All. The first story is called Scaredy Bat and the Costumed Cats, and it's written by Marina J. Bowman. The door to the old house opened a crack. Trick or treat, Ellie, Jessica, and Fez said in unison as they held out their candy buckets. A wide-eyed, plump mouse scuttled through the crack of the door and raced over the crunchy leaves, littering the doorstep. It dove through a small gap in a tree, and its round bottom got stuck for a second. But with a little butt wiggle, the chunky creature was able to squeeze through. Hey, Jess, aren't you going to get that mouse? Ellie asked with a smirk. Fez laughed, making all the string glued to his costume wriggle like worms. Jessica rolled her eyes and let, her, let out a groan. I get it, because I'm dressed as a cat. Ellie chuckled. Aw, don't be a sourpuss. I have to be funny. I'm a clown. Jessica held up one of her paw gloves. Are you positive about that? Everyone laughed. <laughs> Ellie adjusted her red nose and rainbow wig before turning back to the door. Just as she was about to poke her head in to see if anyone was there, a boy named Tink stepped outside, shutting the door behind him. Thank goodness you're finally here, Tink exclaimed. We have a problem. Yeah, you're not wearing a costume, Fez said, crossing his arms over his chest of string bits. How are we going to go trick-or-treating if you're not wearing a costume? This is a bigger costume problem, Tink explained as he pushed open the door. Fez's eyes grew wide with excitement when he saw the dozens of cats running around in costumes. There was a kitten in a lion outfit chasing a dinosaur cat, a banana licking a pirate, a mermaid sleeping on the sofa, and a cat with bat wings swinging on the curtains. And just as they all stepped inside the house, a cat wearing a lab coat and goggles raced through their legs in the direction of the mouse. Best Halloween ever, squealed Fez as he waved to the cats with both hands. Hi, kitties. No, this is bad. Really, really bad, Tink cried. These aren't just any cats. Ellie walked toward the portraits on the wall the ones they used to contain cats in costumes. Now it was just a bunch of empty picture frames with sparkling clean glass. Wait, 
Did the cat somehow come to life and escape from their frames? Ellie asked. Tink let out a long sigh. It must have happened after I adjusted the picture frames. Lou's never going to let me in his house again once he sees what happened. I am going to be in so much trouble. Lou was like a mentor to Tink and was always happy to share his science expertise and lab equipment. Jessica offered him a small smile. Not if we could solve this mystery and fix it before he gets home. Ellie and Fez both agreed. Start at the beginning, Ellie instructed, as she whipped her detective notepad out of her clown pocket. I came here to pick up the costume that Lou was helping me with, Tink explained. I knocked a few times, but there was no answer, so I used the key Lou gave me to get in. I stopped to adjust the crooked picture frames on my way to look for my costume, Tink continued, and a minute later, I heard meowing. Then I walked out of the kitchen to this. Tink dramatically waved his arms toward the cats. Crunch, crunch, crunch. Tink glared at Fez, snacking from a blue bag. Can you crunch quieter? Mmm, what is this candy? Fez asked. Ellie squinted at the bag with a cat face on it and stuck out her tongue. Um, I think those are cat treats. Fez stopped crunching. Maybe I'll leave these for the kitties. Pretty good, though. Fez now had a small gathering of cats around him, including a cat with bat wings, pawing at the string dangling from his costume. Aw, this one likes me, Fez beamed. He grabbed a piece of paper off the table by the entrance and crumpled it into a ball to play with the bat cat. Of course it likes you, Jessica said. You're dressed like a giant ball of yarn and you smell like cat treats. Hey, I'm a bowl of spaghetti, Fez shot back. I even have a big meatball. Fez pointed to the fuzzy brown pom-pom strapped to his head. Guys, focus, Ellie commanded. She looked over at the empty portraits once again. We have a mystery to solve, and we need to get it done fast, so we still have time for trick-or-treating. Wait, we might not go trick-or-treating? Fez asked with a pout. He looked over at Jessica. You need to stop getting distracted and focus. Me, Jessica exclaimed. You're the one Ellie cut off her catty friend. Where is Lou, she asked Tink. I don't know. He said his sister Bree was visiting this week. But I haven't seen her either. Ellie tapped her pen on her notebook. Maybe you did something in the kitchen that made the cats come to life. I don't think moving a frame would do that. Not even in a vampire house, Tink asked. Jessica put her hands on her hips. You have been at both my house and Ellie's. Have you seen pictures come to life there? Good point, Tink agreed. Let's check the kitchen. A sweet orange smell wafted through the air of the kitchen. The room was less dusty than the rest of the house, especially the small work area on the island. Lou was known for his science experiments, so it was no surprise that this area was well used. The detective team looked for clues, shuffling through the experiment notes, potions, and spray bottles. There were 10 identical spray bottles, labeled everything from glass cleaner to experiment number five. Ellie was scribbling down what they found in her notebook when a bunny cat hopped on the counter and knocked down a pan. The metal pan clattered to the ground, making Ellie's heart skip a beat. 
She transformed into a bat and flapped into an open cupboard. It's just a frying pan, Jessica said, as she picked it up off the ground. Ellie transformed back into a vampire. Yeah, but a very loud one, Ellie cried. You know I can't control turning into a bat. Their search resumed. But after shuffling through the whole kitchen, there were still cats running around everywhere and no clues. They went back to the living room and Ellie looked at the dusty clock on the wall. Lou could be back at any minute. And if they didn't solve this soon, there would be no trick or treating. Fez batted the crumpled paper around with a kitten in a witch hat while Tink paced the room. Ellie looked around for clues and Jessica tried to wipe the cat hair off her black costume. Gah, there is cat hair everywhere, Jessica complained. My costume is covered in it. On the bright side, cat hair just makes you look like a real cat, joked Fez. Jessica scrunched her nose. Well, I disagree. You've got to be kidding me. Are you for real? Tink added, not being able to resist the cat jokes. Fez burst into an echoing laughter. <laughs> Get it? He exclaimed. Because your dress is a kitten and they have fur. Jessica let out a sharp exhale. <sighs> you boys are a lot sometimes. Jessica spotted a lint roller on the end table and wiped the dust off the handle. Doesn't Lou ever clean in here? She asked. Everything is always dusty. And now there is cat hair on top of that. She stifled, stifled a sneeze. Lou did say he was going to clean up before his sister came, Tink said. He was even making a special cleaning formula to make the job go faster. Ellie gasped. That's it! She ran to the hallway and everyone followed, including a few cats, still trying to play with Fez's spaghetti costume. Ellie ran a finger over the empty frames that once held cat portraits. She showed off her clean finger and was disappointed when her friends all shrugged. They're clean, she announced, dust-free. I think Lou got his bottles confused and accidentally sprayed an experiment on the cats that made them come to life. Ellie flipped through her notepad. His note said experiment number five is supposed to be an animation potion to bring objects to life. There was also a spray bottle with that number. Okay, but if that is true, where is Lou? Jessica asked. The front door cracked open and the fat mouse bolted through, followed by the cat in the lab coat, hot on its trail. Oh, no, you don't, said Fez, scooping up the cat before it could corner the mouse. The determined cat wiggled to get free. Fez tried to hold it on the ground instead, but just as he thought he had it, the cat transformed into Lou. Let me at her, Lou snarled, narrowing his eyes at the mouse. The mouse waddled back out the door of the house. Lou? Tink cried. Lou pushed the glasses on the bridge of his nose and smoothed back his messy hair. Not that it made much of a difference. Then he let out a large sigh. Ugh. Sorry I wasn't here for my costume pickup, Lou apologized. My sister Bree thought it would be funny to switch around my spray bottles as a prank. He squinted at the mouse peeking in the door. The mouse stuck out its tongue. And sorry about all the cats running around. The animation spray takes a while to work, so I thought maybe you would get here before it happened. But no such luck. Tink's mouth fell open. So this isn't my fault? Lou laughed. 
Of course not. He opened the closet door and handed Tink a blue costume with large spheres glued to it and the word H2O. I left you a note on the table by the entrance. It explained that your costume was in the closet and not to worry about the cats. Didn't you find it? It's not there anymore. A cat dressed as a wizard batted the paper that Fez crumpled earlier across the hall. Everyone looked at Fez happily playing with the cat. Fez looked up when he noticed the room went quiet. Why is everyone looking at me? Fez asked. Everyone giggled. <laughs> Mystery solved, Ellie exclaimed. Well then, what are we still doing here? Tink asked. It's time to trick or treat. The end. So that book, that story is part of a series called Scaredy Bat. So if you want to know more about what happens to the kids in the series, um, there are more books out there. And you can also get them on Nook, which is where I get most of these stories from. All right. The next book is called Flying Solo by D.M. Potter. You sure you can fly on your own? Greenie could go with you. I'll be fine, Mom. And Greenie needs a break, too. She says she's getting too old to fly. Yes, I'll be fine. I'm carrying messages my family have carried for years. My mother, my grandmother, and her mother before her. The Halloween moon is big and round in the sky, lighting up the night just enough so I can see fields and roads and hills and the sea over to my right. The sea is just darkness. Not much to see in it. <laughs> Not much to see. Granny would laugh at that. She likes a pun. A plane shatters the quiet with its big engines. How strange to fly and not feel the night air around you. One of my earbuds feels a bit loose, so I wedge it in snug. I'm listening to the playlist I made for the trip. That's the ringtone I set for Granny. I tell my earbud to answer. Hi, Granny. Are you all right, dear? How's the flight going? I'm fine. I'll ring you when I get there. Just text me, dear. I'm on a date. With the library guy? That's right, dear. His name is Gerald. Oh, he's bringing the coffee. I'll say goodbye. Goodbye, Gran. Time for a snack. Granny packed me a couple of sandwiches. I said I wouldn't be hungry, but I'm quite peckish now. I unzip the side pocket of my message bag and feel around. Bingo! I pull out a sandwich and take a big bite. Cheese and pickle. Delicious. I munch and squint at the stars. There's Sirius, the dog star, standing guard. It's silly, but that star makes me feel safer. Pity I can't share my sandwich with him. I stuff the rest in my pocket. Now clouds move in, drawing a curtain between all the little lights. One by one, my guiding stars blink out. The clouds move over the moon now, too, but it keeps dodging clear. It's not so easy to see the land below. Uh-oh, and now the wind is getting up. I guess that's what's moving the clouds around. I'm glad I've got thick stockings on. Everyone in my family is apparently going to ring me on this flight. That's the ringtone I have for Mom. Hi, Mom. How you doing, dear? How's the flight going? It's fine. I'm fine. What's that noise? It doesn't sound fine. It's just some turbulence. I'll stop soon. It wasn't in the forecast, Mom sounds worried. 
I think it's already calming down, I say. I'll get back to my playlist. I'll let you know when I'm nearly there. You should be concentrating on the flight, not listening to music. She sounds a bit cross, but she's just worried. I'm perfectly fine. I'll see you soon. Love you, I say, because it's true, but also because it makes her feel good. But the wind isn't dropping. It's buffeting me about, pushing me like this sturdy broom is only a leaf. I hang on and put my head down, streamlining myself like an arrow and trying to find a calm pocket of air. I'm getting tired, though. What's with this strange wind? <laughs> a cackle sounds above me, and I risk a glance. There's a hobgoblin bearing down on me, snatching at my message bag. It nearly succeeds, but I zigzag just in time. What can I do? I reach in my pocket and pull out the sandwich and let it fly off. The hobgoblin gives chase to the snack, and I veer away, hoping to gain some distance in this crazy wind. If only I could fly faster, but the wind keeps batting me back. Not now, Granny. I tap my earbud, but nobody's there. Is that noise coming from beside me? It is. There's a little owl flying beside me. How peculiar. The owl lands on the tip of my broom and leans forward like me. How is it staying on my broom in this gale? Then all around me I hear the velvet flutter of wings. The owls come from every direction and surround me. The little owl calling out to them, its talons digging into the broom while its wings spread out wide. They form a great V ahead of me, cutting the wind like a giant pair of scissors, giving me the chance to surge forward and gain on the goblin. And then the wind drops and the moon comes out from the clouds and I fly on through this Halloween night. The last part of the journey is just magic. Perfect. I feel elated. I've come so far. All too soon the village where mom is staying appears ahead. I aim for the hill behind it, just like she told me. The white woolly coats of sheep glow in the moonlight, guiding me in, giving me a good sense of how close the ground is. I slow and spiral, controlling my descent. I startle one sheep as I land. Is that you? Mom, I've brought company. Mom wraps me in a big hug as owls land on fence posts and in trees and even on top of sleeping sheep. I fill her in on my journey as I bow north, south, east, and west to the owls to thank them for their help. She helps me unstrap the message bag from the broom as the owls watch with solemn eyes. Together, we walk up the hill to a glade. When we get there, the others are waiting and the bonfire is lit. A hobgoblin lands in the clearing. You nearly caught me, I say. You had help, the goblin grumps. I don't think that's in the rules. That wind wasn't in the forecast, Mom says. I don't think you want a close scrutiny of the rules this year. Mom hands out the messages from each witch family to the other magical cards that flutter open and wish each other all hollows eve. Just a minute, I say. I promise to text Granny. We send Granny a selfie with the stars and moon behind us and the words, Happy Halloween. The end. All right. <clears throat> that was a cute story. The next story is called Sticky Fingers. 
And it's featuring characters from the book, The Boy Who Cried Ghost. And it's written by Richard Clark. Nine-year-old Peter Dunlap and Glenn Farkison greedily admire their half-full bags of candy as they rush down the front steps of a neighbor's house on Halloween night. A few more houses and I'll have a hundred candies, Glenn said, popping a piece of candy into his mouth. Not at the rate you're eating them, Peter remarked. He hadn't touched his own candy. He wanted to save it all for later so he could dump his bag onto his bedroom floor and separate everything into categories. Hard candy, soft candy, chocolate bars, lollipops, Twizzlers, chips, and soda. Healthy treats like apples didn't count. Glancing at the fun Halloween props in the front yard, from fake cobwebs to styrofoam gravestones, Glenn rolled his eyes. This stuff is so stupid, it's not scary at all. Suddenly, a creepy mechanical witch cackled, <laughs> the wart on its nose glowing red. Glenn jumped and screamed, almost tripping over the cardboard blocks of his homemade Minecraft costume. Collecting himself, he said to Peter, That didn't scare you because you live in a real, live, haunted house. Peter smiled a bit. That didn't scare me because it wasn't scary. As much as he loved his chiller comics, horror comic books, Peter wasn't into trick-or-treating like Glenn. In fact, he'd thrown together his own costume at the last minute from pieces of old costumes he'd found at the back of his closet. A cape, a pirate's eye patch, a cowboy hat, and a pair of clown shoes. The boys arrived at the next house on the block. There were no decorations at all at the front porch of this house, and the place was totally dark. Looks like no one's home, said Peter, and he started to walk on. But Glenn stopped him. No, wait. I think I see something on the porch, he said. And he started up the walkway. Peter reluctantly followed, and the two boys climbed the steps to the dark porch. What's that? Glenn asked, noticing something on a patio chair. It was a simple plastic bowl full of Halloween candy. Glenn's eyes lit up. Hey, we could pick our own candy, he said as he reached down for a handful. We could take as much as we want. Wait, Peter said, pointing to a little sign propped up behind the bowl. It says, take one only. Glenn looked around. Nobody's home. Who's going to know? Come on, Peter said. They want to make sure everybody gets some. He took one piece of candy and plopped it into his candy bag. Feeling guilty, Glenn reconsidered and took only one piece as well. I guess it's more fair that way, he said, not too convincingly. But as Peter turned to go, Glenn quickly reached back and snatched another piece of candy from the bowl. Proud of himself, he turned to rejoin Peter, but then whoosh! A trap door opened beneath the boys' feet and they dropped down out of sight. Oh! The boys screamed as they slid down a dark chute. Finally, whump! They tumbled out the other end onto a cold concrete floor. Oof! Peter turned slowly to Glenn. Did you take another piece of candy? No, Glenn insisted. I would never do that. But Peter kept looking at him. Finally, Glenn broke down. Okay, one more piece, just one. Peter shook his head, and the terrified boys looked around. 
The room appeared to be the house's dusty, dank basement, complete with piles of junk covered with cobwebs, real ones. Where are we? Glenn asked with a whimper. Looks like the basement, Peter observed. Hope it's not like your basement, with the gate to oblivion in the wall, with the glowing and the moaning and the... Suddenly, Glenn noticed his Halloween candy scattered all over the floor. My candy, he cried, as he realized his bag had dumped out half its contents. As Glenn frantically tried to put his candy back into the bag, Peter left his own bag on the floor as he got up to look around the room more closely. There's got to be stairs leading up or something, he said, but he could find nothing. Then he looked up at the hole in the ceiling that they'd fallen through, but it was much too high to reach. There's no way out of here, he exclaimed in shock. No way out, Glenn said, jumping up. You mean we're stuck here all alone? Then from the darkness, an eerie, silky voice. No, not alone. Both boys froze. Who's there? Peter asked, his voice tightening. Who or what? The voice replied with a wicked little chuckle. White as a sheet, Glenn turned to Peter. It's not a who, it's a what. But what kind of what is it? Peter asked, just as terrified. Whatever kind of what it is, I don't want to know. Then the boys heard something odd, a sort of wispy, weaving sound, and the delicate clatter of what sounded like knitting needles. What could that possibly be? Peter and Glenn had to find out. They crept around the corner of some stacked boxes, following the odd noises. But it was so dark in the basement, they could barely see a thing. Then Peter spotted a dusty bare light bulb hanging from the ceiling. He reached up to its dangling chain and turned it on. Peter instantly wished he hadn't done that. There, right in front of the boys, stood the biggest, ugliest spider they'd ever seen. It was just finished in weaving its massive web, and it looked at the boys with a wide, creepy smile. Oh, look at you two, it hissed. I just love your costumes. The boys screamed and took off in the other direction. They ran through the maze of junk scattered around the basement, but they didn't know where they were going since there were no stairs or windows to escape through. And Peter's floppy clown shoes weren't making it very easy for him to run. Why did I have to wear these stupid things, he cried. Everywhere the boys ran, they heard the spider's demonic laughter echoing all around them. Boys, the spider cackled. Do you want a treat or a trick? Suddenly, Peter and Glenn ran straight into the spider's web. They were stuck. I can't get out of here, Glenn cried as he struggled in vain to pull himself free. Peter pulled at the web too, but he was just as trapped. Why did you have to take that second piece of candy? Peter pleaded to Glenn. I'll put it back, I promise, Glenn said. The spider appeared from out of the shadows. I'm afraid it's too late for that, it said with a silky giggle. Kids with sticky fingers get caught in sticky messes. It moved in on the boys, its fangs dripping as it salivated, eager to dig into its own Halloween treats. Peter had to think fast. Give me your candy, he demanded of Glenn, who was still holding his trick-or-treat bag. 
Get your own, Glenn protested. Glenn, I'm serious. The boys managed to pull their arms free, and Glenn reluctantly held up his bag of candy. Peter took off his pirate's eye patch and loaded it with a piece of candy like a slingshot. He pulled it back as far as he could, and he shot the candy right at the spider. Snack! The hard candy hit the spider right in one of its eight eyes. It screamed in pain, but now it was mad and hungry. It continued towards the boys. Peter loaded another piece of candy, and another, and another. Smack, smack, smack! But the spider guarded its eyes this time, only getting hit on its body and legs. Peter had to think of something new, so he kicked up his feet and thumped the spider's face with his clown shoes. Thump, thump, thump! This too slowed the spider down, but it still kept coming. Peter and Glenn gulped hard. Was this to be the end of them? Gobbled up like so much Halloween candy? Finally, Peter looked up at the hole in the ceiling and got another idea. Glenn, bounce up and down on the web, Peter started, and Glenn joined in. Soon they were bouncing the web like a trampoline, but they were still stuck. The spider swiped at them, but it missed every time. Stay still, it hissed, but the boys kept bouncing. And finally, on their biggest bounce, they broke free of the sticky web and were flung right into the hole. The power of their bounce was so great that it shot them up the chute into the porch above. The boys flew out of the trap door and landed hard on the porch. They looked at each other, amazed that they were still alive. We made it, cheered Peter. But then Glenn looked around in desperation. My candy! I left all my candy down there. He turned to the bowl of treats, still sitting on the patio chair. I'm taking that whole bowl to make up for my lost candy. He reached with both hands to grab as much candy as he could. Glenn, no, Peter screamed, tugging at Glenn's costume to hold him back. Do you want to end up back in the spider's web? Glenn stopped himself. He folded his arms, frustrated. Okay, fine, but we're going to do the whole neighborhood again. He stomped off, and Peter wiped his brow with relief. Phew! He followed Glenn happily. But as Peter walked off, he could swear he heard a sinister hiss coming from deep beneath the house. The end. Ooh, that was a little spooky, wasn't it? All right. On to the next story. <clears throat> and this is called A Good Trick. And it is from the series of A Haunted Library. And it's written by Dory Hillestad Butler. <clears throat> Kaz was a ghost. A real live ghost. His friend Claire was a solid person. Unlike most solid people, Claire could see ghosts all the time not just when they were glowing. She could also hear ghosts when they were talking, not just when they were wailing. Tonight was Halloween, and Claire was dressed as a mermaid. Kaz hovered inside the water bottle that hung from her shoulder and watched curiously as she went trick-or-treating. Such a strange custom, he thought. What does trick-or-treat even mean? Kaz asked Claire as she headed to the next house. It means, hello, happy Halloween, May I have some candy? Claire replied. Why don't you just say that? Kaz asked. 
because that's not the way you do it. Claire dotted out of the way as three kids in long, white, shapeless costumes zipped past her. Kaz narrowed his eyes. What are they supposed to be, he asked. Claire giggled. Ghost, she said. What, Kaz gaped. They didn't look anything like ghosts. Ghosts were not shapeless white blobs. They were transparent people with superpowers. Claire shrugged and clomped up the steps. She rang the bell, and a woman in a zombie costume opened the door. The woman held the lantern in one hand. There was a big bowl of candy on a table inside the door. Trick or treat, Claire said, raising her pumpkin bucket. The woman smiled and leaned against the door jamb. I'll take the trick, she said. Uh, Claire said, confused. You said trick or treat, the woman said. I want the trick. If it's a good one, I'll give you a treat. She picked up a candy bar, but she didn't give it to Claire. Not yet. Claire looked down at Kaz. Kaz looked up at Claire. Kaz had a trick. It had taken him a long time to learn it, but if he concentrated really hard, he could summon a glow that began inside his heart and filled his entire body. A glow that allowed all solid people to see him, not just Claire. He took a deep breath and felt the warmth of his glow expanding through his chest, arms, legs, head, fingers, and toes. Claire grinned. Here, this is my trick. She raised her water bottle so the woman could see Kaz inside. The woman was not impressed. Anyone could turn a light on and off, she told Claire. To prove it, she flipped the light inside her lantern, then switched it back off again. I'm not a light. I'm a ghost, Kaz wailed so the woman could hear him. A dog whimpered from somewhere inside the house. The woman scratched her chin. That's a better trick, she told Claire. But obviously, you have some sort of speaker hidden inside your flashlight water bottle. Psst! Put the water bottle up against the lantern, Kaz told Claire. Claire looked hesitant. Do it, Kaz said. Okay, watch this, Claire said to the woman. She pressed her water bottle to the lantern, and Kaz passed through the bottle into the lantern. He concentrated on making his glow extra bright as Claire pulled her water bottle away from the lantern. See, it's not a light, it's a ghost, Claire said. My ghost. And he just went inside your lantern. The woman smiled. Well, that's a pretty good trick, she said. Kaz couldn't hold his glow any longer. The woman dropped the candy bar into Claire's bucket and Kaz stopped glowing. Then the woman went inside her house with her lantern and closed her door. But Kaz was still inside her lantern and Claire was outside her house. Claire, Kaz called as the woman lifted her lantern and peered inside. She slowly turned it all around. But she couldn't see Kaz because it wasn't glowing anymore. Then she turned on the light inside the lantern. Ah! Kaz shrieked as the light burned his foot. He passed through the lantern and hovered in midair. The woman still couldn't see him, but her dog could. He was a large black dog with a low, deep growl. As soon as the dog saw Kaz, he rose from his pillow and started chasing Kaz around the room. He barked. He leapt at Kaz. What's the matter, Duke? The woman walked over to him, her forehead wrinkled with concern. The dog barked excitedly. Kaz swam up to the ceiling and hovered there, 
while Duke hopped up on his back legs and snapped at Kaz. Then the doorbell rang. The woman opened it and found Claire standing there again. Unfortunately, Kaz couldn't go to her. First, he'd have to get past Duke. But also, he was worried about the open door. If he got too close to the open door, he could blow away in the wind. Uh, my ghost is still in your house, Claire told the woman. I need to put him back in my water bottle, she waved at Kaz. Duke barked at Kaz. The woman turned, but she still couldn't see Kaz. Good trick, she told Claire, but only one treat per customer. She closed the door. No, Kaz wailed. The woman looked around nervously. Duke was nervous now, too. He dropped to the floor, put his head on his paws, and whimpered softly. He obviously didn't like Kaz's wail. Open your door, Kaz wailed. Tell that girl to come back. But before she could do that, Claire's face appeared in the window. She pressed her water bottle to the glass window and motioned for Kaz to pass through. Never mind, Kaz wailed. He sailed through the glass and into Claire's water bottle. Claire waved at the woman through the window, then headed back down the sidewalk with Kaz safely inside her water bottle. Phew! That was close, Kaz said. Yeah, Claire said. I've had enough tricks and treats for one night. Let's go home. Okay, Kaz said. Happy Halloween, Claire. Happy Halloween, Kaz, Claire replied. The end. All right. <clears throat> that was cute. Um, the next story is called Halloweening. And it's from a series or a book titled A Tales of the Spooky Folk. And it's written by... J.K. Campbell It was Halloween night in Octoberland, the land of the spooky folk, and Winda was not happy. Instead of going to her coming-of-age ceremony early and meeting up with her friends Larry and Sally, she was stuck again, babysitting her younger brother and sister and taking them Halloweening. Even worse, Gobbler was her chaperone. Gobbler! He was her family's watch-o'-lantern and one of Winda's main sources of constant irritation. How could her mother consider him to be the responsible one? As if on cue, the little pumpkin man shoved her forward up the steps to Agatha Trumbly's house, home of the eldest witch in all the witch fields. Winda had heard she had just celebrated her 138th birthday. 138 years old! Come on, Gobbler cried. Agatha has the best candy. He lunged up the steps, his spindly little legs nearly tripping as he heaved his round pumpkin body onto the porch behind her siblings. Halloweening was a tradition that all young spooky folk took part in. It was practice for the real deal. Once they turned 12, a child was considered old enough to take part in the annual Halloween crossing, which meant they could enter the human world and scare humans. This year, her brother Waldrop, age nine, was a giant vampire bat. Her sister Winslet, age six, uh, she wasn't sure what Winslet was. She called herself a duck clown. Winda suspected her youngest sister had spied on her as she gazed in her family's scrying pool and then somehow invented such a creature because, hey, she was six years old. The young ones knocked on the door 
and out came Agatha Trembly, spry as if she was only half her age, and wearing a long black dress with silver spider clasps. Trick and treat, the kids yelled and held open their sacks. Agatha's delighted face quickly turned into a frown. Trick first, she said. Winda vaguely heard Gobbler apologize for their rudeness. But his words were slurred so badly, she wondered if the eldest witch understood him. Winda stomped her feet in irritation at the little pumpkin man. Less than an hour into trick-or-treating, and Gobbler had already eaten so much candy he couldn't walk straight. Thirty minutes after that, he had gotten sick behind a bush, and now he couldn't even form an intelligent conversation. Suddenly, Winda realized Gobbler was telling a very inappropriate joke to Agatha, and she was cackling along with him. <laughs> Meanwhile, Winslet was performing a dance she had learned from her friends on Agatha's porch. But her costume fit so poorly, she staggered around and crashed into Gobbler, causing the watcher lantern to nearly fall. Gobbler clutched Winslet in one hand and a rocking chair in the other, steadying them both. He then scowled at the interruption and turned to yell at Winslet. Watch where you're going, said Gobbler. But Winslet, equally as loud, yelled the same thing at him. And then, you've had too much candy at the same time. Then the two of them fell into the porch, giggling and laughing uncontrollably. Oh, Winda said, just stop it, you two. You're ruining my night. Waldrop looked on, seemingly embarrassed. There, there, young lady, said Agatha. No need to get upset. What's troubling you? What's troubling me is that I could be having fun with my friends and preparing for my coming-of-age ceremony. But instead, I'm stuck watching over these two. Winda jabbed her finger at Gobbler and Winslet, still laughing and paying them no attention. And Gobbler is supposed to be the one in charge. Instead, he's been candy-sick for the past hour. Some responsible watch-o-lantern he is. Oh my, Agatha said. Tell you what, why don't you come inside for a moment while these two get this foolishness out of their system? Will that young Waldrop here stand guard and make sure they don't roll off the porch? Winda looked at Waldrop and he nodded, so she followed Agatha inside. The elder witch led Winda down the hallway to a room with a cauldron nearly bubbling over with some sort of foul-smelling green liquid. Now, tell Agatha what's really troubling you, hmm? Winda opened her mouth to protest and say she had already told her. But the look that the old witch gave her caused her to pause and reconsider. She might be old, but there was no sense trying to fool her. It's the ceremony. I'm terrified I won't pass, and all my friends will, and everyone will make fun of me, and I'm already late, and I'm really bad at spellcasting. I tried turning a moth into a bat the other day. What happened? Agatha asked. It just laughed at me. Agatha snorted, but there was a twinkle of amusement in her eyes. Go on, she prompted flying. I'm scared of going too high. I'm afraid I might fall off my broom. So, don't go so high. There's no rule that says you must fly to that moon, my dear. Stay closer to the ground. Yes, eldest, Winda's voice sounded pitiful in her own ears. Agatha cocked an eyebrow. You don't seem convinced. Well, the final test. Cackling. I can't do it. I either laugh or my throat gets dry and I choke. It's like my throat just isn't shaped right for cackling. Isn't shaped right? Whatever do you mean? I mean, Winda tried to say, Oh, shoo, I know what you're trying to say. Come now, 
Do you think you're the only witch not confident in their abilities, especially at your age? 11 years old. Ha! Do you think I learned everything about magic and being a witch 127 years ago? No. You never stop learning, child. Many of your friends are just as worried as you are, and some are less skilled. But Winda tried to say, I'm not finished. Let me tell you a little secret. Do you know that the elders judging you at the ceremony aren't concerned with how well you do or how skilled you are? No, they just want to see you try. And most importantly, to see you respond if things don't go right. To see how you react to adversity and even failure. That is so much more important. Window swallowed hard upon hearing this. The gentle yet firm way that Agatha spoke made her eyes tear up. Before Winda could get too emotional, a cloud of purple light appeared in between her and Agatha. The billowing smoke formed into the shape of Winda's mother's face, and she did not appear happy. Winda, where are you? The ceremony is almost over. If you don't hurry, you're going to miss your chance to go on the Halloween crossing next year. Oh no, Winda wrung her hands in despair, then turned to race out of the house. Just the thought of missing her chance to cross the wall into the human world filled her with dread. She wouldn't dare tell Agatha, but humans in their culture fascinated her much more than her own world of Octoberland. She wanted more than anything to actually see and talk to a human, even if it was forbidden, even if it was dangerous. Just a minute, said Agatha, and her wrinkled hand shot out and grabbed Winda's robe. I'm not through with this one yet, dear, she said to Winda's mother. Her mom opened her mouth to disagree, but Agatha gave her a sharp look. Winona, I will take care of this. Now be a sweetie and tell the judge that I shall handle Winda's ceremony. Winona's face paled and she swallowed hard. Yes, eldest, then disappeared into the purple smoke, but not before scowling at Winda one last time. Winda's chest felt tight. What does she mean by, I'll handle Winda's ceremony? She wondered. Now then, Winda, don't worry, you haven't missed your opportunity. Why don't you come and have a peek into my cauldron? There's something I want you to know and see. She reluctantly stepped forward. Her stomach rolled and felt like she imagined gobblers did. Agatha waited until Winda stood before the cast iron pot. It rested on a stand and the rim was nearly up to Winda's chest. She almost had to stand on her toes to peer over the rim. Agatha waved her hand once over the bubbling liquid within, and the green sludge turned almost clear. Now, look within. What do you see? Winda did as she was asked. Almost immediately, she began to see images appear. Of her when she was just a little girl. She and Gobbler were out playing after moonrise and got caught by her parents. Gobbler tried to take the blame, but Winda stuck up for him and admitted it was her fault. More scenes flash by of Winda helping others in need her family, her friends, even complete strangers. She turned to look at Agatha. Have you really been watching me this whole time? Agatha chuckled. No, dear one. I have lots of time on my hands, but not that much. You see, I asked my cauldron to show you your hidden strength, and so it has. Winda looked back down into the cauldron, just in time to see the scariest moment of her life. Last year, she and her best friends had been playing in the Edgewoods. A group of werewolf bandits threatened them, and things had gotten dangerous. 
The cauldron enabled her to see herself as she stood up to the bandit leader. She even watched as she broke her broom on top of his head. But it didn't work, Winda cried. The werewolves still grabbed us. If it weren't for Larry and Sally, who knows what would have happened? Ah, said Agatha. But it was your quick response and your initial act of courage that gave your friends their courage. And the three of you working together proved successful, did it not? After all, you were standing here in the safety of my kitchen because you dodged becoming a quick snack for a werewolf. Winda didn't know what to say. The scene in the cauldron changed again. And this time, she saw tonight's Halloweening. She looked up in confusion at Agatha. But why is it showing me this? I didn't do anything important tonight. At that moment, Winda heard a noise outside the window. Agatha spun, produced a wand from her dress, and pointed it at the window. An invisible hand of magic seemed to drag a squirming gobbler from outside the window where he had been eavesdropping on them. The invisible hand of magic dropped Gobbler hard on the other side of the cauldron from her. Well, if it isn't your little pumpkin friend, Gobbler is my name, your worship. Oh, be quiet, and do tell why you thought it appropriate to listen in on our conversation outside my window. Gobbler blushed, bowed, and then cleared his throat. <clears throat> Winda, I have something to tell you. I must apologize. I ate so much candy tonight and made myself sick all because I tried to stall you to prevent you from attending your coming-of-age ceremony. Winda blinked. Why? Gobbler hesitated. Go on, said Agatha. Well, I hope that if you miss the ceremony that you wouldn't be allowed to go on the Halloween crossing next year. What? Why would you want that? The watcher lantern sighed and looked at Agatha. I just... I just don't want you going off without me, leaving me behind to babysit, or not needing me to act as your chaperone because you'll be old enough to go off and have adventures of your own. Winda stared at Gobbler, waiting for him to finish. Oh, what I'm trying to say is that I don't want you to grow up, okay? There, I've said it. I don't want you to not need me or not want to hang out anymore. Gobbler, Winda shouted, stomping her foot. I, I... I will never not want to see you or hang out with you. Never. You're one of my best friends. Winda found her arms around the watcher lantern almost before she realized it, and Gobbler eagerly returned her embrace. Not so tight, Gobbler gasped. I feel like I'm going to be sick again. Winda pushed him off of her. They both began to laugh. <laughs> I hope I'm not interrupting, Agatha cut in. Now then, back to business. As you can see, Winda, you have an amazing ability to stand up for your friends and for what's right. And that, my dear, is not something that can be taught so easily. Hooray, cried Gobbler. I'm not done, Agatha said. You also have an amazing ability to find trouble. In fact, I'd say you're one of the best at finding and landing in it. Uh-oh, Gobbler sighed. Quit interrupting, Agatha and Winda barked at the same time. Gobbler held his hands up and slowly backed away. Winda, what I'm trying to say is you have abilities that are very impressive for one so young. Impressive and potentially dangerous if not held in check. But I think you do care for others and empathize with them. And because of all we've spoken of, I also do consider you ready and that you shall be allowed to cross the wall for Halloween next year. What? Winda shouted. Agatha scowled. I mean, really? Oh, Agatha, that's wonderful. 
Thank you so much. Just be sure to remember what we've talked about tonight. It's not what you're good at what matters. It's your choices that mean so much more. Choose to care for others and stand up for them in need. Far more important than how well you can fly your broom, Agatha said. Thank goodness for that, Gobbler cried. Stuff it, Pumpkinhead, Winda said. But she and Gobbler grinned at each other. Well, that settles it. Happy Halloween to us all. Now, if you will kindly remove yourselves from my house, it's well past this old lady's bedtime. You're not old, Winda said. At least not old at heart. She looked at Agatha, and the eldest witch gazed back at her. Winda wanted to tell her thank you, but the words didn't seem enough. She felt understood in a way that no one else had ever seemed to grasp. She felt proud, proud to be exactly who she was. Instead, she reached out and took Agatha and Gobbler's hands and smiled at them both. Yes, she said, happy Halloween to us all. The end. All right, another cute story. All right, are you guys ready for another one? This one is called A Candy Brains Halloween, and it's featuring characters from the books, the Make Brains Taste Bad books, written by Eli Craner. <clears throat> Dash story, check it in. You know, the kid who wrote books make brains taste bad. I'm back to tell you the real story about what happened last Halloween. Wait, you've read my book already, haven't you? The one about the zombie teachers at Haven Middle School and brain-sucking virtual reality headsets. And now my dad works for this super lame company called Candy Brains. That's right. My dad's a candy salesman. And every year, the week before Halloween, we have to move to these boring towns that have zero Halloween spirit. When we got to Haven, there weren't even any jack-o'-lanterns. And the kids, well, they hadn't been trick-or-treating in forever. But everything changed after my classmates read Books Make Brains Taste Bad. By Halloween night, the streets were filled with kids in zombie costumes and everybody was munching dad's sugar-stuffed candy brains. Then it was over. And I was sitting on my front porch with my new best friend, Colt Taylor, both of us suffering from a serious case of candy brains overload. I think I'm going to barf, Colt said, cradling his belly. Before I got to Haven, Colt was a cool kid. And by cool kid, I mean he thought he was cool. Colt was actually just a massive teacher's pet. It's just a sugar crash, I said. You'll be fine. Fine? Fine? I feel like I'm about to give birth to a candy baby. We went to every house in the neighborhood and every house, I said, and nodded to the creeptastic, haunted-looking house on the corner of Coventry Drive. We didn't go to every house. Colt shook his head and put his hands over his mouth. What's wrong, I said and grinned. Are you scared? I can't walk, Dash. Seriously, I can barely breathe. It's not Halloween, I said, pushing off the steps, until you've been to every house in the neighborhood. I was already halfway into the street when I heard Colt come stomping up behind me, mumbling something under his breath. I just kept walking, away from the safety of the streetlights, toward the dark, crumbling house on the corner of Coventry Drive. I really don't think this is a good idea, Colt moaned, trying to keep up. You're new to town. You don't know this house's history. I said, it's just a house. But the closer I got, the more I started to worry. Every window in the house was busted. Cobwebs all over the place. And the freakiest part? 
the whole house leaned a little to the left, like it was just trying to bend down and grab us before we got to the front door. There was this old lady who used to live here, Cold Huffed, way back like when my mom was little. The first step creaked under the weight of my sneaker. Dash, wait, Colt whispered. They say she was a witch or something. Are you listening to me? I heard him, but I was already on the front porch, my hand reaching for the gargoyle-looking knocker thingy hanging from the door. Dash, Colt hissed. Do not knock on that. The whole house rattled as the knocker came down on the front door. Then there was only silence. Complete silence. It was so quiet, I could actually hear Colt's teeth chattering behind me. I knew nobody lived in the big creepy house. I knew it wasn't haunted. But I just wanted to freak my new beat butt out. Mission accomplished. My new best butt out. I was just about to turn around and laugh right in Colt's candy-coated face when I heard something I wasn't expecting. Footsteps. Somebody's in there, Colt squeaked. Somebody's. That was all he get out before a dark shadow darted past the front window. The footsteps grew louder and louder. Like whatever was behind that door was coming straight for us. And then all at once, the footsteps stopped. I shouted, run, and started scrambling back down the steps. I was almost there, almost out of the darkness surrounding the house and into the safety of the streetlights. But then Colt tripped and rolled and did a complete front flip as he skidded to a stop on the cracked walkway. I stumbled over Colt's legs and landed right on his overstuffed belly. He groaned and let out a burp that smelled just like candy brains. Lying there, flat on our backs, staring up at the front door of that creeptastic house. We didn't have a chance. We were tangled together, trapped. And then the door started to open. Inch by inch. There was somebody standing in the doorway now. All I could see was this huge round shape where the creature's head should have been. Except it wasn't a head. It looked just like a witch's hat. Dash, Cold whimpered. It's been nice knowing you, buddy. I couldn't speak. I closed my eyes and waited for the witch to come down the steps and snatch us up for her Halloween treat. But then I heard a voice I recognized. Dash? I blinked my eyes open as the witch stepped forward. There was just enough glow from the streetlights. I could finally see the truth. This wasn't a witch at all. It was my dad? I said, signing off a cold's belly, trying to play it cool. What's that in your hands? The reason Dad's head had looked so weird, because he was holding the biggest candy brain I've ever seen in my life. This is the latest candy brain's prototype, Dad said, inspecting the gigantic piece of candy. The Humongo Brain 2000. I wanted to keep it a secret until Halloween, so I hid it in this empty house. Guess I hid it too good, because I forgot all about it. Across the neighborhood, front porch lights were going out. Haven's first real Halloween was officially over. It had been a perfect night, full of great costumes, tons of candy, and even a freaky moment at the end to top it all off. But the way Dad was grinning, it was like he had one last trick up his sleeve. Well, Dad said, his smile growing wider and wider. What are you boys waiting for? 
The humongo brain 2000 isn't going to eat itself. I opened my mouth, ready to tell Dad there was no way we could eat any more candy. But Colt was already pushing past me. Out of the way, Colt blurted, shuffling up the steps. Do you see the size of that thing? I'm starving. Watching Colt stuff his face with even more candy, I couldn't help but laugh. I kept laughing as I started up the steps. I was almost to the top, close enough to smell the sugary sweetness of the world's largest candy brain when I heard a laugh coming from deep inside the house, a cackle that sounded just like a witch. The end. Ooh. Then that one spooked you a little bit. <laughs> All right, everyone, that's going to do it for today. Um, tune in tomorrow and I will have the rest of the story is up for you. I just didn't want to make this too, too long all at once. So I do this in a two parts. Um, so yeah, that'll be uploaded tomorrow at about the same time as today. So as always, be magical. So that's going to do it for today. I will be airing these podcasts about once a week. So be sure to tune in. You might want to choose to get notified when I air so that you don't miss a thing. If you have any comments, please feel free to connect with me on my Facebook group. I will leave the link to that along with my website on the show notes. Blessed be.